Good morning, everybody. How's your fasting going? Um, I've, I've prayed for you all this week. I, I pray that uh, this has been a, a challenging time, yet you've been able to persevere and be stretched and grow. Uh, and so with that in mind, before I really get into it today, I wanted to uh, offer up to you these words of encouragement from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2. It says this, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And so as we are working out our salvation, God is at work in us in order to fulfill his good purpose means it's not about us, uh, which is always good news. So I just pray this season of Lent, this season of fasting, would bring about God's purposes in us, would bring about God's purposes in this church and in our families and in this community. Uh, and I would also add in this last word of encouragement, if for whatever reason you're still resisting this idea of giving up something for Lent, it's not too late to start. But let's get into it today. Uh, Psalm chapter 111, Psalm 111, uh, we're going to read this morning, and if you'd like to stand as we read God's word, please do. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart. In the counsel of the upright and in the assembly, great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Lord, we thank you for your word today. I want to start today by asking a question. And, well, I, I apologize for the question. Because if we take a moment to consider the answer, it is a difficult question. What was or what has been the most difficult season or time of your life? Thinking about it is might maybe hard because it brings up things we'd rather not think about, maybe. Uh, for some of us, perhaps there's more than one option that kind of fights for that title. Probably most of us. For, for my wife and I, it was probably 2002, 2003. It started as a, a 
concerned look from an ultrasound tech who had to leave the room to get the doctor, and it turned what was supposed to be a very exciting day into a very difficult season. This year, he would have been 20, which is strange to think about. And I've told you a lot of times, probably almost every time I've been in front of you, I have grown up in church. I grew up in church. This is my place. And growing up in church, you learn a lot of things. You learn all the stories in the Bible. You learn about love, and you learn about forgiveness, and you learn about grace, and you learn all the parables, and you learn the stories of the miracles, and, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all these things. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, right? You, sorry, that song just popped in my head. Uh, we learn about these things. We even learned, you know, about Jesus and how he taught us what to do if we have a problem with a brother or sister. You know, he gives us the steps to take. Like, we, we learn about all these sorts of things in church, but, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure anyone ever told me what to do if I had a problem with God. Sure, I knew what to do if I had a problem with someone else. But I don't know if anyone ever told me what to do if I had a problem with God. For some of us, that whole idea seems completely blasphemous. Like, who are we to have a problem with God? You know, I was told about the God who heals. I was told about how we can and we should trust God, and that's true. I was told about, you know, Romans 8, you know, all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And that is a great verse. And I was taught how we should give thanks in all things. And one of my favorite passages that I was taught growing up was in James chapter 1. And, and I could, uh, and I had it memorized and I could teach about this. You know, in James chapter 1, James, the brother of Jesus, writes, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters. When you fall into various trials and tribulations, for the testing of your faith produces patience, and let patience have its perfect work in you so that you would become perfect and complete, not lacking anything. And I know how I said it doesn't match because I learned it in the New King James because that's how he did back then. And so I could tell you all about that passage. And I could tell you how that word for testing uh, is, a, is a metallurgy term. And it's this process of, of smelting and melting the metal down and this process of testing the metal and the, uh, you know, bring it to extreme temperatures and the impurities are taken away. And through this process, this metal becomes so pure that you're able to see a reflection in it. And I could have told you that these, these trying times in our life are, are God bringing us through the fire so that his reflection could be more clearly seen in us. And that God uses these things to form us and to shape us more and more into his image. And I could have told you all of that, but we all know that if on our most difficult day, if James walked in with a smile on his face and said, consider it pure joy, we would have thought him to be very cruel. We probably would have kicked him out of the room. At the very least, we would have really wanted to. But we're all polite Christian people, and so we would let him get by, right? 
We're taught a lot of things in church, but we're not very often taught what to do if we have a problem with God. In fact, we typically and oftentimes don't even have permission to have an issue with God or to be anything but nauseatingly optimistic. And we preach and we teach things and things that are, well, we, I got to stop myself sometimes to not go down certain paths. I'm like, I see an exit, I'm like, I got to keep driving. Uh, we, we preach and we teach things like, you know, where we come across with this impression that following God means every day is better than the last. And, and we say things, and I've said it, and I'll probably say it again, like, you know, the best is yet to come, which... If we have eternity in mind, absolutely that is true. But anything less than that, it might, might not be true. Because between now and eternity, we very well might have to walk through a lot of muck and mire and stuff that we would rather not face. And in fact, there's Christians all around the world whose whole existence will be a very difficult one. And I think of like the, the martyr Stephen in the Bible, and as he's waiting tables, I can imagine one of us, you know, civilized American Christians coming up and say, don't worry, Stephen, the best is yet to come. The next day, he's stoned to death. Our thinking very often is kind of skewed to believe that God's ultimate purpose for us is for our individual fulfillment and happiness and that we could find our true self and all these sorts of things. And none of that is bad. It'd be good if we're happy, right? I mean, that's, none of that's bad. But God is more concerned with our holiness than with our happiness. And, and the Bible teaches us that, that God desires to print, uh, present us as his blameless and holy bride. It doesn't say anything about presenting us as his fun, happy, optimistic bride. So again, that'd be good too. But back to the point. What do we do when life seems dark? What do we do when it feels like the, uh, our personal lives or the world around us, things are falling apart? What do we do if we really have an issue with God? The answer is simple. We learn a new way to worship. We learn a new way to worship. And in kind of the modern church, the we have a very narrow view sometimes of what worship looks like and what worship is. And it's very often limited to songs of praise and thanksgiving and gratitude. Very, you know, uplifting and positive songs. God, you're so good. And, you know, warm and fuzzies and gumdrops, rainbows, unicorns. Those are good. And, and we should sing songs like that. That's why I, I began today reading Psalm 111. It is exactly like that. Those are good. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and we should sing lots of songs of praise and, and thanksgiving towards God. We should smile. We should shout. We should dance around, though probably none of us are going to be dancing in church anytime soon. We should do all of that. And even we should, if, if we're able to, like in, in times of difficulties and trial, we should practice and we should work towards giving God thanks and praise in the midst of difficulties. But... What if we have a problem with God? 
Do we just lie and say, God, I just think you're the greatest ever when we really don't think that at that time? I mean, is this a fake it till you make it sort of situation? And I do wonder, and I wondered this week as I was thinking this through, if maybe perhaps the reason why some people have stopped praying, some people have stopped singing, some people have stopped showing up in church is because they've got a problem with God and they've decided rather than say things that they do not believe, rather than force a smile on their face and push words through their teeth that they are just not filling, they would rather just give God the silent treatment much like we do to someone, a friend or a family member who we are upset with. And they don't want to say things or, or hear things like we read in, in Psalm 111 this morning. They don't want to say the Lord is gracious when to them really it feels like God is being kind of cruel. They don't want to say, ah, oh, the works of God's hands are fair and just when really life is a little bit unfair. And of course, again, and I can't stress this enough, absolutely, if there's genuine praise in your heart in the midst of these very dark and difficult things that we face, absolutely, let it out. But if there's not, what do we do? In times like this, we have to learn a new way to worship. And in order to do that, we have to let Scripture teach us what that would look like. And so I want to show you something. Can I show you something today? I don't, I'm going to do it anyway, so you can say. So here is a, an image right there. Uh, so what that image is, if you're not sure, it's a, uh, it's a whole bunch of multicolored circles. That's what that is. No. Um, besides that, uh, that is a diagram of the book. Don't put that one up yet. You've ruined the payoff. There it goes. All right. You didn't see that. So that is a, uh, uh, a diagram of the book of Psalms, okay? So the book of Psalms, if you don't know, it's the big book right in the middle of your Bible. It's got 150 chapters uh, in it. All of them are songs and poems, uh, and they kind of uh, are formed, and they collected into uh, essentially a hymn book or the, a worship book for ancient Israel, for the early church. Uh, and so what someone did is they categorized all the different psalms. And so each circle there represents a particular chapter. The bigger the circle, the bigger the chapter. And they gave it six different categories. And this isn't a conclusive set of categories, like each person or each, you know, whoever, they come up with their own list in their own way. So this isn't like a one-all, end-all. Just I happen to have easy access to this, and it was colorful and big for, for our uses for today. But the six categories that this particular guy gives is one is praise, one is thanksgiving, one is wisdom, one is royal psalms, which I understand are psalms used in like royal coronation sort of things, uh, one are hymns, and the last one is the category of laments, which sounds like a French candy, laments. Sorry, it's just what I think of. But, but a, a lament is a, it's a song or, or a psalm or poem of intense expressions of grief or sorrow or complaint. And sometimes it's complaining to God about, you know, others or about enemies or about a situation. And sometimes, though, it's complaining to God about God. Now, that's not all of them. I mean, it's, the, the interesting thing is this, and here's the payoff, and you might have guessed the interesting thing is this, that 
The category of lament or lamentations is the biggest category. It's the blue one. That's the biggest one. In the worship book of, the, of ancient Israel, of the early church, the biggest category of song was a song of lament. Now, if you were to go through, and if, you, if anybody wants one where you can see the actual numbers and the breakdown, just let me know. I can email it to you. But if, if you go through, you'll, some of those feel a lot more optimistic and positive sounding than others in that blue category. And, and so it's not a one kind of thing fits all. But these songs here in the blue are probably not songs that would make it on K-Love. They would probably not get anywhere on the Christian charts. They would, they're definitely not songs where Jim would say, this is better than a cup of coffee. Like, he just wouldn't say that about most of these. Could you imagine coming into church and singing, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrows. Life is so unfair. Like, life is so unfair. Like, we're not doing that. God, why are you ignoring me? I can't sing or else I would really be able to do that. And again, like I said, they, they take all kinds of forms, and the best way to kind of get a good idea of the, the spectrum that that category covers would just be to read through them. But, but absolutely, some of them, it's complaining to God about God. Take this one, for example. This is Psalm chapter 13. It says this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Like, that's what I say to the kid when, like, look at me right now, like, Look at me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome them and my foes will rejoice when I fall. How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? That's in the worship book. That's in the hymnal of ancient Israel, which tells me that it's worship. And it's not necessarily a form of worship we are accustomed to or perhaps familiar with, or, but it is a, a, a form that I think we would do good to learn from. And unfortunately, we're, we're not good at really giving space to this sort of thing because if someone starts down that path and they start saying things like, you know, God's just unfair, and life is unfair, and I don't, I don't even think God listens to me. If someone starts down that path, we very, very quickly correct their theology. We very quickly say, hey, turn that frown upside down. And usually we're, we're more motivated by our discomfort with their sadness, with their grief than anything else. And so we very quickly fix it, turn it, twist it. And sometimes we even, if someone goes down that path, sometimes we would even call into question their devotion or their faith or their Christianity and because we sort of have the idea, though I don't know if we would outright say it, but we sort of have this underlying idea that only optimism and smiles are acceptable. 
So we see our friend in trouble like this, and so we call up James, and we say, hey, James, brother Jesus, we need you to come and talk to my friend. And James shows up the door with a big smile on his face and says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes, before we can consider it pure joy, we have to consider it pure sorrow. And that's okay. And that should be okay. See, because God is big enough. God is loving enough. God is patient enough to be able to let us be angry, to be able to let us be sad and hurt and confused and doubt and all of those things. And God is even big enough to take us shaking our fist at him and saying, God, how much longer? God, how could you let this happen? How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Day after day, I have sorrow in my heart. See, both Psalm 13 and Psalm 111 are in the worship book, which means both are worship. Worship, the definition I've, I've heard of worship, it's from several people much smarter than me, it, it kind of goes like worship is our proper response to God or worship is the proper response to the truth of God or worship is the proper response to the revelation of God. It's, uh, I've heard that, you know, basically the same idea stated in several different ways. And, and that's true. That is what worship is. And, and here's the thing. As Christian people, we have a lot of reasons to, to praise God, a lot of reasons to be thankful, a lot of reasons uh, to have gratitude in our hearts, a lot of reasons to smile. Like, we have been forgiven from our sins. That's something worth praising God about. Absolutely. God is currently at work right now as we speak at all times and all moments to, to set things right, to bring us back to a place of of harmony with God and one another. And God is at work right now setting things right. And we look forward to the day when we're, we're thankful to God for that. We're thankful that on the cross, Jesus, and through the cross and through the resurrection, Jesus conquered sin, death, and hell. And we thank God for that. And we praise God for that, that those enemies have been defeated. And on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And we believe that and we stand on that and we praise God for that. And we look at our friends and our family members and we see all of what God has done in our lives, in our family's life, in our friend's life, and, and we rejoice in that. But with all those reasons to praise God, there's another side of all of those reasons that also can give us reasons to grieve and to mourn. We're thankful for the forgiveness that we've been given, but we can grieve and mourn over the sins that we have committed and the, the failures and the mistakes that we have made. We can grieve over that. We can have sorrow over that. We're so thankful that, that Christ has defeated sin, death, and hell, but when those things collide with and mess up our life, we grieve and we mourn over those things. We trust that God is at work making all things right, but sometimes knowing that just awakens within us this cry that says, God, how much longer? And we look at our friends and our family members and we see the great things that God has done, but then we remember the ones that we're still praying for and the ones that our heart is still aching over and see all of the reasons that we have to praise can also be reasons that cause our heart to grieve, both 
our responses to the truth of God. Praise and grief. It just depends where you find yourself that day. And God is okay with the worship and the praise. And God is okay with the worship of grief and sorrow and, and laments. And I think God's okay with that because... God would much rather hear the very messy prayer of, God, will you forget me forever? Why aren't you listening to me? How could you let this happen than, than for us to give him the silent treatment? God would even much rather hear that than us pretend that everything was great when on the inside we're really just falling apart. Because God desires the honest prayers and the honest worship of his people. Because in order for us to get where God wants us to get, we have to start where we're at in, in a place of, of sorrow and laments and grief is as good as place as any to start. The uh, kind of the quote that's been lingering came up uh, when Dr. McPherson was with us and brought it up last week and it's kind of been an undertone today, but was, you know, the prerequisite to resurrection is death. Death is the starting point of, of resurrection, uh, and perhaps prayers of sorrow and grief are the starting point or the prerequisite to something else, to, to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. In the video, as I was coming up, there was a quote by C.S. Lewis, and that quote says, it is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to us. It's in the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to us. If the grief and the questions and the confusion and the doubt and all of that stuff is the starting point and is a form of worship, God will, God will begin to communicate his presence to us, and as God communicates his presence to us, he pulls us out of that to a new place. And sometimes that's a fast process, sometimes that's a slow process, but if God is, is communicating and bringing his presence to us, it is very much an inevitable process. A process that can only begin if we begin from a place of honesty, with God. And so here's what that might look like, and here's what that looks like in, in Psalm 13. I'm going to read Psalm 13 one more time, but this time I'm going to add the last couple verses I left off the first time we read it to show how this might work in our lives. Psalm 13, it says, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But... But I trust in your unfailing love. 
My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. We have to start at the starting point to get to the but. God is good. And all the time. And sometimes it doesn't feel that way, and that's okay to say. I thought today uh, we would close by taking communion together. I thought how much more appropriate than, than sharing together in a meal that both acknowledges our weakness, yet also acknowledges the goodness and the grace and the love of God. Uh, a ritual, I know some of us don't like that word, that's why I chose it. <laughs> Just kidding, I mean... The ritual that, that both looks to the, the return of Christ and perhaps also creates within us a longing for Christ to intervene in our world, in our family, in our lives, in so many ways, in so many places. So we're going to take communion together this morning. If you don't yet have your elements, they're on a table in the back. Communion is a means of grace what we teach in the Church of the Nazarene. It's a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit. And we come to the table to be renewed in life and salvation. I'm going to have to just take care of this first. It is noisy. What in the... All right, good luck out there with these. These are tough. It's not happening. It totally, I'm just, I know I'm totally interrupting a very solemn thing, but it's funny, and I appreciate funny. It, it did the first layer, like I can look, and now it's splashing everywhere. You got it? <laughs> no, I don't. It's a mess. Thank you so much. You're the best. Mine did not cooperate with me. All right, we got it. All right, it's, you know, uh, in, in many, many traditions and throughout the history of the church, uh, we call communion Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving, and so it's okay to, uh, to laugh and to smile because we are thankful, even though it was kind of a bummer, <laughs> but all right. Communion is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit, we come to the table to be renewed in life and salvation and be made by one, made one by the Spirit. And in unity with Christians everywhere, we confess our faith that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so let's pray together. Holy God, we today gather at your table in the name of Jesus Christ who by your spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and established the new covenant for forgiveness of sins. And so today as we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving and perhaps even in our grief and our sorrow, 
We ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us and upon these gifts, that you would make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and the blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world until Christ comes in final victory. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so today, church, may the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Eat today in remembrance that Christ died for you, and be thankful. In the same way, when supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples, and said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So today, church, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you, preserve you blameless under everlasting life. Drink in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. Let me pray for you today. Lord God, I just thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you that your love, your grace, your patience, your shoulders are big enough to handle all of our emotions, all of our doubts, all of our feelings, all of the thoughts that cross our mind. Lord, may us May we never forget to simply just come to you with whatever it is that's racing through our heads. Whatever it is that weighs on our hearts, so Lord, that you might guide us through it. Because God, we trust that you would do that. God, I pray that your presence and your spirit be upon us here today. That we could take this gift that you have given us, Lord, and bring it off into our families, into our homes, into our workplaces. That we would be a source of peace and comfort. That we would be listening ears for those around us. God, you're so good to us. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. We thank you that you walk through us through the difficult times, that we can look back on our life and see that you are faithful. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. If you'd like to come and pray, the altar is open. But if you want to talk to Pastor TJ after the service, please do, or Pastor Nancy. Let's sing together. Grace that flows like a river.
Say.